Recording. We are recording. We, we are, are recording. We are live. I don't, we're not live, right. idiot. Oh, we're right, recording live. Yeah, right. Welcome to the Partridge Podcast presented by Exodus 4x4. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Room Podcast presented by Exodus 4x4. I'm your host, Bubba Bryan with Exodus 4x4. We build badass 4x4s. Uh, as always, Ryan Anderson, my right-hand man, is to my right, uh, producing, I guess. We still don't know what that's called. <laughs> and then uh, coming at us remote from Jinx, Oklahoma, Mr. Tony Payne. Um, Hello. Who has his own YouTube channel, Trail Cartel, and sometimes he'll periodically bring up those videos. So, mind you, that's what he's talking about. We'll remind you again. And when you are the only one. <laughs> we, we weren't able to make a podcast last week. Uh, just super busy at the shop and just couldn't find time. Um, plus, I was really, really sick last week with some sort of sinus congestion and stuff. So, we skipped it. And uh, I was thinking about what to talk about this week. I was thinking about to the last podcast where we talked about uh, LJs and stuff like that. And we brought up at some point um, Rough Country, didn't we? That was yes. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were talking yep. about Rough Country. Yep. And how, you know, when we put it on a Bronco, it was, good. It was a good little two-inch spacer lift. And that got me t- thinking about this episode. And, and uh, there, there's so much emphasis nowadays placed on brands. And I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit and like, where does that, where does that come from? Like the saying is always, you get what you pay for and quality uh, over quantity and stuff like that. But is that necessarily still true? Because, you know, take, again, take rough country, for instance, when you look at their products now versus what we used to look at, is it as bad as we always thought it was the price points? You know, there's a lot of stuff we want to kind of dig through in that and unpack when we talk about brands, because that's one thing that we we try to um, always lean on here at Exodus was uh, kind of sticking to some of the brands that are a little bit more, I don't want to say prestigious because that's not really the word, but are brands that are kind of known for their quality. So it happens that they tend to cost more, but is that still the case? So that's when I kind of bounce around between you guys and, and you know give listeners something to think about. Not necessarily that we're gravitating towards you know, selling cheaper product or cheaper uh, suspension systems or lifts, whatever you want to call it. But it may turn out that sometimes you don't have a choice, that you have to use something that's, you know, not a premium or premier kit. So, Ryan, you strike me as the type of guy that would have a lot to say on this subject, actually. Oh, well, I think it comes down to affordability for a lot of people. I've always heard when I got my Jeep, I had always heard that, you know, things like rough country and stuff like that, their bushings were, you know, they'd wear out faster or the springs mm-hmm. would slouch faster. You know, when I first got my Jeep. Or they ride rough. Yeah. Like, ride, you know, you know everything it's a joke. Well, yeah, it rides rough. It's rough country. Yeah. That everything yeah. would just give out sooner. And my philosophy was why buy something that I'm going to be replacing in a year or two? And yeah. Instead, just buy something that's going to last me longer. I may pay more now, but will it save me money in the long run from having to replace you know, the same things in a year from now. That's a, that's a good point that I want to kind of touch base on later. Uh, as we, as we dig through this some more, I want to kind of revisit what you just said and, and specifically because you said it and I don't mean that in a mean way. All right. Okay. Uh, but Tony, what do you think? Where, where do you initially when we bring up this conversation, cause I just sprung this on you a couple hours ago, which is kind of the way I want to do things. I want to kind of be organic about the way we talk about stuff, not too rehearsed, 
but I did want to give you right. some some um, some seed to plant in your brain and kind of think about before we start talking about it here. But um, and you know, what do you think about it? Like initially, what's your first thoughts on on? And I don't want to in in throughout this podcast as we talk about stuff. I don't want to focus too much on any particular names right. of companies. We'll try and keep it as uh, ambiguous as we can, you know and in some t- in some cases, you're, it's going to be hard to get around that. But we don't want to call anybody out as being a cheap lift um, or an economy lift or, you know, a prestigious lift or anything or, you know, a premium lift. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put something in their head without their own experience from it. So I think the best way right. to do it is just be as vague as you can be about the actual brand. So go ahead. What are your thoughts on, on the subject? Well, yeah, yeah we, we don't want to create a stigma about something. Yeah, I, ran, I ran price point lifts before because of the price and they were fine. You know, I think price point shocks are a bigger deal, a bigger issue, but, um, price point lift kits from, from the aforementioned company. (laughs) Yeah. The thing about companies like that, that, that have those, uh, more price point, more economical lift, they have better tech support because they're dealing with people like me at that time that didn't know a whole lot about it. So their tech support on the phone was, was outstanding. And I've noticed as I move through to get into more to maybe the boutique list or the bougie list, they don't have support. You better know how to install the shit when you buy it because yeah. that's not what they're about. But it should go through a pro shop like you or, or you know, anybody else that you might recommend. But it, sending it home to a consumer or a prosumer, it's not what that stuff was really intended to be installed for. So, or in my opinion. I think you nailed it right there. I think that's a right out of the gate. I think that's a good point to make that these – Companies, and I'll bring up rough. We've already brought up rough country and, and kind of like yeah. what people think of it already before. So I don't mind bringing them up again and again. People kind of associate rough country and a few other lists to be in sort of the same category. So uh, they can go wherever they want with that in their own mind. But if you ever call those guys, man, solid customer service. They, they, 100%. and you look at their instructions online. I just happened to be looking at a, a, a suspension this morning. Uh, for a guy's 2021 uh, AT, AT4 uh, GMC. And they have really good thorough instructions that you can print out and use while you install it. So, you know, I think you're right. I think those guys are probably a little bit more uh, customer service oriented because they do have, this is more of the introduction, introductory people coming into this and they, they know they're going to get hit with probably a, at least 10 different emails and phone calls from a customer during an install because people will open up a box and just go, yeah, and they'll start bolting shit together. And they, they you know, what they didn't do was inventory everything that's supposed to be, that's on the instructions, make sure it's all there in the kit, uh, make sure there's no damage to any parts, you know. Uh, look for obvious flaws that may exist and you know maybe there was something that wasn't welded correctly or the weld doesn't look good or the you know the powder coat's peeling off of it already and they don't do that stuff and they just unbox it and they start uh, trying to bolt it on and then they realize they start having problems with it and something that was supposed to take six to eight hours ends up taking six to eight days because they didn't finish it the first day and then they had to go to work and they you know, they're borrowing their wife's car, their neighbor's, you know, extra car or something. So yeah. they run into that problem. Those are the types of people that, in, you know, I'm, I shouldn't say that that's unique to those lifts. I mean, because even like, you, I like the way you, you uh, phrased it, the boutique lifts yeah. um, or yeah. suspensions that you get into later down the road. And, and I think what Tony means by boutique lifts would be something that a coilover long arm kit that's going to run you upwards of close to $10,000. 
Yeah, you're running yeah. um, complete weld-in mounts or, you know, they're, they're two-and-a-half-inch adjustable coilovers. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, and that's not even labor, right? So right. that's what we're referring to when Tony, when Tony said boutique lift. That's what he's kind of, you know, he's leaning back on those. So, but, yeah. and then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you could start with the budget boost lifts, the spacers, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you no. know, it retains factory ride quality damn near. Uh, it allows you to run bigger tires and it, it looks good. It, it yields a lift that is true to what it's advertised at two inches. So if you put a two inch spacer in there, you're going to lift it two inches um 99% of the time there might be some instances where that doesn't ring true but so then and then you go from there to the simple shock and spring lifts it's lacking a few components but it's still technically within uh let's say on on that lift it's still within the uh alignment specs might be on the far end of it uh spectrum of the alignment specs but it still gets the job done and then you kind of move into the other ones that have the adjustable control arms or, you know, the brake lines instead of the brake line uh, relocation bracket. So as you, as you kind of step through those cheaper brands, you get more into it, you get more interested in it, and you start doing more research into these different suspension lifts and stuff on your own, you start, your, your focus starts to shift towards those boutique lifts. I feel, and you start mm -hmm. figuring out ways to expand your budget to include those. And I think that's why so many, uh, we see it so many times with Jeep people where they'll build the same Jeep three or four times over as they started mm -hmm. out with that spacer lift. And then, you know, they went with the stage one lift that included control or lower control arms in the front. And then they move up into, now they're, they're thinking they want to do long arms. And then they did the long arms. Now they're wanting the big axles and they're wanting the big shocks and the big engine and stuff like that, you know? So as you progress through these different stages of the build, I think your taste towards the brands change. But does it necessarily make the Jeep any more, I would say Jeep, uh, make the vehicle any more reliable? Does it make it any less reliable? It, and that could be a whole nother, uh a podcast in itself right like that subject in yeah. itself like when do you go from those you know as you trans you know, um as you build up your rig yeah as you, as you transform that rig and you and you go forward with it and you and you kind of start building up that, that could be a whole another podcast in itself but take for instance and I'm, again i'm gonna bring up rough country because we already have but you know they sell everything from a spacer lift and then up to these vertex coilovers that they offer for some of those is that vertex coil over any better than a Fox or a King or, um, ADS or Radflow or any of those other guys out there that build what we consider premium shocks. You have to assume so, but what do you think? I, I don't know how it could be better with the R and D, the King and Fox puts into this particular thing. I mean, that's their, that's their world is to make some of the first class or most first-class shocks out there. Well, and but, to be fair, there's different, within those shock companies themselves, there's different levels of shocks. I mean, like, say, Fox. Yeah, the, yeah, the Fox, <laughs> uh, uh, what do we call it? It's not Fox Factory, but the, uh, what's the regular? It's, it's I think it's considered Factory Series on the regular one, and the no. Performance Series is the next, right? I think the Performance, the, no, it's the Performance Series Backwards. is like the 2.0 okay. IP shocks that we, yeah, yeah. The, the cheaper ones, like 180 bucks. 
And then Fox Factory would be the premium side of it. And then you have within Fox Factory, you have the DSCs and then you have the internal bypasses. And it, it just, yeah. it sort of, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So to be fair, those brand of those brands um, typically have other sub uh, lines. Yeah, yeah. There's other sub models within those shocks themselves. Whereas, if you bought a Rough Country Vertex, 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 whatever coilover, that's what you're going to get. There is no other option. I went straight to coilovers on you, so I apologize for that. I mean, I no, went straight okay. to the. But um, you're right. You know, if you're if you're looking at the entry level monotubes shocks, I mean, I ran those Bilstein 5100s on that Jeep with 40s, mm-hmm. but I did I, that Jeep got built multiple times. I started off. With they a small, inexpensive, yeah, inexpensive lift because I wanted to get the wheels and tires on it that I wanted to run, and that allowed me in my budget to do that. And then I added control arm to yeah. it, and then I replaced the springs and the spacers. So it's a great way if you're wanting to get a look, you're wanting to have a decent ride, and you're wanting to make sure that you like a Gladiator or a Jeep or a Bronco before you dump a ton of money in it that yes. you're going to lose when you go to sell it. It's the perfect way to do it. Yeah, um, and just. Because a lot of people, you know, if you're just wanting to drive it around town, that's fantastic, man. Get the good-looking wheels on it and get it spaced out and drive it. But yeah. if you think you're going to want to crawl it and get into that, I, I still say step through the process on your first Jeep your second Jeep. And that's where those price point lift kits um, make most sense to me because it lets people spread their budget across the build and get the look they want right out of the gate. So that's a good point. And, and it's exactly what's happening to me on the Bronco that we bought because, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm like, well, I don't know exactly where I want to go with this thing. And we did a rough country two inch spacer on a, on a guy's Bronco. And I've just been really undecided about what to do. So I decided, you know, what? Uh, on the advice of, uh, I'm on, from my buddy Marcus over at River City Offer, he said, why don't you just do a basic uh, lift on it with 35s and then move up through the other stages of the Bronco builds. That way you can answer questions to all different people. I was like, man, that's a great point. So that's what we decided to do. I ordered, I had already lined up to do, you know, a pretty, I would say invasive surgery build on the Bronco. How many of those people out there really want that, particularly in the Bronco, how many of those people that are buying the Bronco right now really want to just want to gut that thing and start building up? And then the Raptor came out a couple of days ago and you're looking at this thing and you're, wow, here's a production vehicle it's going to come from the factory it's off-road it's got 14 inches of wheel travel it's got a long travel suspension on from the factory and it's got a, a v6 a 3.0 v6 it gets you know is it, that's advertising at 400 horsepower well what are you going to do to that thing i mean other than the, the hideous fenders on it obviously you're going to pull all that off and put fiberglass fenders on it but you don't really need so the question becomes if you're a guy buying a Bronco because you want to go and you want to build this thing to be as off-road capable, I mean, and, and, and let's not forget the live valve shocks on it. Okay. Yeah. So if you're a guy that's going to build and you're going to buy a Bronco and build it up to be something super capable and fast off-road, not rock crawling, but just, you know, then why would you spend all that money to do that when you're ultimately probably going to end up doing the, you're spending the same amount of money just to buy a, a production Raptor. The only thing you're really going to change on it would be the fiberglass and stuff on it, which you're probably going to end up doing on the, whatever base model, uh, even the base model Bronco to achieve the same wheel travel. You're going to end up putting like the ADB eight inch fiberglass fenders on it. So does it make sense to do that no. or just to take your Bronco 
that you're going to want to drive around and look, you know, you want it to look good and put that space yeah. or live or your, uh, or, you know, for instance, the same thing, the 392 Wrangler looks great. Immediately you can take it and put 35 inch. I mean, I think you can order them with 35s now with the, with yeah. the extreme recon package, but, um, or even 37s too, right? I don't know if you can order it, but they'll fit on it. They'll fit. Like and the Bronco Raptor will come with 37s or, or if they mm -hmm. stay true to their last advertised uh, tire size, uh, 35s. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, 35 True 35 yeah 35 and a half, yeah, 35 and a half. <laughs> um so kevin they, they, i got that they kevin, are BFGs. kevin our uh, light bright he already called that out the other day he's like oh man i hope i wonder if it's going to come with 35 and a half inch bfgs uh yeah because you know the 315s that they're advertising are more more like 33 and a half but um yeah, so well, if, if you're able are. to to buy these vehicles so capable already What's going to happen to the aftermarket? You know, I'm, that's a whole another podcast. Maybe I shouldn't go that way. But, but that being yeah. said, why would you buy a Bronco, go to the trouble of putting a long travel suspension and doing all these really expensive upgrades to it only to be outdone by the production model itself? Or is it possible that we're going to be able to build them that are more capable than the but if that's the case, then you would only have to upgrade a slight a bit on that Bronco to get more wheel travel. But do you really need more than 14 inches of travel? So, Do you need 14 inches? I mean, do you that's, need the, it? that's the question. Yeah. Well, we're also talking about I mean, Bronco Raptor. That's not what we were talking about, price point lifts and everything. That's a different price point. Well, thank you for pointing out that we went off on a tangent, yeah. Ryan. Thank you for getting, reeling it back look in. Look at me getting us back to it. Yeah, good job reeling us in. That is your job, by yeah. the way. All right, so if you're going to be crossing that 35-inch tire threshold – then we need to start looking at stuff that, that is beyond the spacer lifts, off, obviously. But if you run in 37s, that to me tell, says you're looking for more than just you're, – you're, you're searching for something more than just looks, correct? Yeah, you said your, your idea is to either be bigger than your neighbor or you're going to go out and start wheeling. Especially, you know, 37s look great on a Gladiator, right? And you can stuff them in there mm -hmm. with a uh, two-inch spacer lift. Yeah, I mean, we just did it the other day uh, for a friend here in town, but wheeling it may get a little weird. You know, it's going to get into the fenders. Uh, so, um, and I think that, you know, back to your point on the the Bronco, there's so many people who wanted a Sasquatch Bronco with with pseudo 35s that ended up getting non sas Broncos. Man, I think the move is is that spacer lift you're talking about. Get that spacer lift on there, throw your 35s on there, and you've got what you wanted to order and i think that's a bulk of what you're going to see in my opinion you're going to see people wanting to do most people just want 35 on it so it looks like the sasquatch and that's all they're ever going to do with it and it's going to yeah. be a great capable vehicle i think so you're i right. think i mean those price point lists that we're talking about those spacial lists, those guys got bucks. It down yeah now now here's the deal though here's what drives me insane you, you roll up onto a jeep dealership or you roll up onto a ford dealership that has put that lift kit on there and they want to charge them like two thousand dollars for sticking that $300 spacer lift on there. People and to me, eat, that's Tony. just people got to eat. Yeah. Come <laughs> on, man. What do you, what do you, what do you charge for it? A thousand, what's the install? A thousand bucks, 800 bucks. I mean, no, 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 no. So for, let's say that I sold somebody that, that spacer lift. Okay. No particular brand here. Cause there's a few different brands out there that you could use for that spacer lift per se, the Bronco Yeah, 200 bucks. And then, you know, a few hours, like, I think it's total of four hours of labor. So you're looking at about here, and, you know, close to 500 bucks in labor to put it on. And then alignment is separate. That's going to run you about 125, 130 bucks for an alignment. So you're still coming in well close to a thousand bucks. 
total. Yeah. Right. And it looks, it looks good. It's going to run your, you're going to get your 35s in there safely and reliably run this thing. And it's still going to have the same ride quality. Uh, Same thing can be said for the Wranglers and the Gladiators. In the JL and JT world, a very good, a very reputable spacer in the front end of that thing. And and then the spacer in the rear, that's all you need. Uh, Now, I would say on a leveling kit on a, um, like a JK, you're going to run 33 inch tires. You wouldn't run 35s. But so then the threshold on the JK is going to be going to 35 inch tires. You're going to need to put a, a, a minimum, like a two inch, I would say a three inch lift really. I mean, to be able to take that thing out and wheel it. So with stock fenders with, yeah, with stock. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, it's uh, fair to mention stock fenders. Uh, if you had flat fenders on there, you could run 35s and two inch lift on it and, yeah. and get away with yeah. it. Um, so and let's, let's say factory, let's say factory fenders, factory flares for the sake of this. Yeah, yeah. I would say a three inch lift and then you get to the three inch lift. This is a good one to talk about. JK customers that come to us and they've already got a lift on their Jeep and they're like, man, it rides like shit and blah, blah, blah. Um, and they're running 35s and sometimes they're running 37s. And you can tell right off the bat, they're running a, uh, a budget lift. It's got springs. It's got shocks. And we won't mention a name, but because there's quite a few of those. They're, they're like, man, this thing just, I hate this Jeep. Well, it's not the Jeep's fault. And it may not even be the suspension's <laughs> fault so much as it is you just really needed control arms when you did this uh, to get there your you caster go. back in spec and, and, you know, get you back down to about four, four and a half degrees of caster. And you'll actually enjoy the way that things drives a lot more and you won't hate the Jeep. So but dude, there's so many people that come in there you know, they bought it, either they bought it off a lot or they bought it from somebody that bought it off a lot. But that's what dealerships are notorious for taking those super cheap, $600 three-inch lifts. I mean, the industry is, I mean, when I say the industry, the the car sales industry was very notorious for that and still is to this day of taking those cheap lifts, put them on there, charging a premium for it. Customer thinks, you know, person that's never owned a Jeep before and they go in and they see this Jeep and it looks good and they're like, oh, you know, there's a 6,000 ADM on this thing because the dealer installed a lift and it's covered by the warranty because they did it. And then they drive off the lot with it and they hate the, you know, at first everybody's drunk on the new vehicle, right? Which is why I waited. I I drove the the Bronco about almost 1300 miles before we did any kind of video on it. Uh, Because I knew I would be drunk on the new vehicle thing. I mean, everybody is. They're excited because you see all these new things in there. Well, it's the same thing about when you go to buy that Jeep Wrangler and it had a, a, a lift on it and it had 35s and tire shine on it. And the person's just in love with that vehicle and they drive away and they, they show it off to all their friends and all their friends are giving them likes and, you know, and commenting on their Instagram, Facebook. And then after a couple of days, the, you know, or weeks that stops and the dopamine highs go away from, you know, from getting all the likes and stuff. And people start to really take notice of what those cheap lists do. And then they end up here and they're like, Hey, you know, well, the dealer sold me this and blah, blah, blah. And it's important to point out, at this moment during the podcast that uh, I just want to bring this up that, that a lift on your vehicle is not going to avoid the warranty. It's going to avoid the warranty on the suspension. All right. And anything that the dealer can link back and believe me, they'll give it their best. Uh, they'll give it their best shot. But just because a dealer puts on a lift doesn't necessarily mean that that vehicle isn't going to experience some sort of uh, mechanical failure down the road. Yeah, they may warranty it, but it, you know, and people, 
people begin to realize this, maybe that warranty isn't worth as much as what I thought it was. Maybe I don't want the dealership working on my vehicle after yeah, all. Yeah, so I, I got some questions for you. Yeah, yeah, ask so, away. So it's a, it's a little bit off topic, but you you alluded to it. We're notorious for being off topic. What are you talking about? This is what we do. Yep. All right, I got a JK, I got a JL, and I think the JT and the JL are going to be akin to each other. And then I've got a stock Bronco. On the, on the JK, this yeah. is not me, just figuratively. Yeah. Um, at what point, at what height of lift do I need to start looking at control arms? And do I need to be looking at upper and lower? Anything over two inches. Uh, on, a so, JK, on a JK. On a JK. And I would say even the same thing for the JLs and JTs. Broncos a different animal because obviously the IFS. So stick with the Jeep and the solid axles. Anything over two inches, two and a half inches, uh, because I think there's, there is a company out there, a, a nice, reputable company that builds good stuff that makes a two and a half inch lift for the JK. I would say anything around over two inches you it's going to get a lot more expensive to, to build that vehicle up and lift it up and for a few different reasons once you get to three inch you need to start thinking about the drag link flip you need to start thinking about your steering geometry uh which includes you know the control arms to correct caster and the drag link flip and the racetrack bar bracket but often people forget about the drive shaft in the front and that's the one that that we start to see the failures very rapidly on those dealer lifts because they're not changing out to a drive shaft that can tolerate the the new angle it's that point like i said anything over two inches and we start to stress those those joints on the drive shafts a lot more especially on the jk being that it spins all the time as good point i yeah should yeah good point ryan on the jails and jt's that that have the fat in the front uh that has not had a fat delete it doesn't affect it as much for the daily driving aspect but the off-road aspect we have a guy uh armando yep. he uh did a gladiator did not do a front drive shaft, took it out, wheeling, destroyed the front drive shaft, first trip out, uh, just destroyed it. And we ended up putting a front drive shaft in. In the JK, two inches, definitely, it definitely gets more expensive and it gets a lot harder to retain that those budget lifts because those budget lifts, some do have control arms that you can replace, but they're not adjustable. And I that's one that I don't like to recommend to people because uh, you know, I tell people all the time when they come in with a JK, the, you know, and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking I want to pull a lift on. I think I want on 30, 35s. And I was like, yeah, well, you're going to end up at 37. So we might as well just go this route, you know, and I quote them, you know, six or $7,000 worth of suspension and, uh, and installation, uh, just to get them to the point where they can reliably run 37s. And they're like, wow, I didn't think it was going to cost that much. And I'm like, well, do you want you, we can do it super cheap. But I was like, you're going to be back and forth between, you know, you're going to get mad at us because we didn't sell you something that was going to stand up. And then you're going to end up going to a different shop and they're going to end up telling you the same thing. If they're any good, they're going to end up selling you the same thing I told you the first time, which was bite the bullet, man. Just go in and, and set this thing up right. Because how many times do I see a, a, or, you know, over the years had a customer come in and build the same Jeep over because he's like, yeah, you're right, man. I, I didn't want to go to 37s. Now, I tell people this up to 37s because it is within reason to expect that the lift isn't going to cost hardly any difference between three inches or four inches on a JK. All right. Uh, you, you still need to buy a draft shaft. You still need to do a drag link flip on it. Um, you know, you still need to do a lot of the same things that you need to do to run 35s and 37s and the kits typically uh run about the same price 
If they're any different, I'd say the deviation may be within $100 plus or minus. Okay, depending on which side you're standing on when you're looking at it. But to go to 40s, though, I understand. That is a completely different animal. Uh, yeah. Unless, slippery slope. you know, it's a completely different animal. Because in the JK, you should be running larger axles. And you should be running. You're going to have to buy two new drive shafts. You're going to have to change out all your steering on there. You're going to have to buy new wheels. Like, it's a completely different animal. And to be honest with you, I mean, the more I've wheeled, I mean, do 40s look great? Hell yeah, they look great. Is it really worth it? I don't know. I mean, if you're really technical about it, yeah. I mean, you're going to need every bit of ground clearance you can achieve, and that's the best way to achieve it is with through the tires. I mean, to get real ground clearance, right? Because yeah. that's the only way you're going to get the bottom of the diff up any higher is, is through, A, tire size or portal axles, and we don't, we're not even going to get started on portal axles today. But, yeah. but that's, not, that's not a typical progression, though, that you see often, right? You don't see people coming in starting out on 35 and then working through 37, 38s, 40s. I mean, that's the rare – most people who know they want 40s, do they go straight to them? No. For looks, yeah. There's a lot of people that just want 40s right off the bat. Like, hey. And on the jails and JTs, I'm a little bit more willing to. Open to, to the idea. Yeah, open to, willing to have those discussions and, and talk to people about it. Because I think I think time has, has proven that the M210 and M220 axles on the Jeep is more, uh, say, forgiving. But. Uh, definitely stronger axle than the previous model Wrangler Dana 44s. Just as a side note, the M210 and M220 is what comes on the Rubicon Uh-oh. Gladi- uh, or the Gladiator. Yes, thank you. Oh, right. Not everybody knows that. Just want to I, you're right, that and now they do. Well. Everybody listening now knows. Yeah. But I was pausing because they're actually pulling a Gladiator in the shop with a Hemi, and it's, it's quite distracting. <laughs> Things are rattling on the walls. But no, Does um, it have a Hellcat in it by chance? Does it have a big old it's a 392 Gladiator that we built for a guy. Uh, it's beautiful rig. Uh, you can go on my Instagram and look at that red, red beautiful. It looks really nice. It is. Yeah. It's a nice. It's a nice one. And um, I think I was telling you about it. it might he might end up selling it? Bo's driving because he he just revved, revved the engine up a little bit. Um, but no, anyways, yeah. So the M210 and M220 axles that you would find in the uh, 2018 in a Wrangler in 2020 and up G gladiator, right? Um, Good job. and there's the air horn. There's the air there. horn on it. <laughs> Always got to do the air horn on it whenever uh, they're done. But anyways, um, much stronger axles, uh, definitely more resilient than, than the previous ones. 32 spline front and rear, right? One of the first Hemi gladiators that we built for a customer, uh, from up your way, Oklahoma came in stock axles running 40 inch Maxxis razor MTs, beautiful tire. And he's like, can I, I want to do the Hemi in here. I was like, look, man, I, I cannot guarantee that those axles are going to survive with that much power and that much tire leverage against them. But he sends me videos of him ripping up dunes in Oklahoma. And I'm, I'm like, well, okay, whatever, you know? And I, I keep telling him, it's like, it's a time bomb. He hasn't blown it up yet. So he's either extremely lucky, but that would make a lot of people out there extremely lucky because there's a lot of people uh, driving jails and JTs that are running uh, 40s on them, not necessarily wheeling them, maybe some light off-roading and stuff like that. They're not heavy rock crawling with them because, no, you wouldn't expect that to hold up. But for the for the wheeling that most people do with them, 
uh, on an average, you know, daily basis. To answer your question, the guys that are coming in with JLs and JTs, uh, they're looking at Instagram and all that stuff, and they're looking at a lot of social media and coming in and going, I want to run 40s. This guy's running 40s. He's got stock axles. I'm like, all right, well, as long as you know, and I tell them, this isn't, it's it's not guaranteed that you're going to survive uh, or your axles are going to survive, but we'll do it. All right. I mean, I ran 40-inch truck grapplers on my Gladiator when I first got it, and I didn't wheel it, really. I was scared to death to, to, to even go off the pavement with it but it held up just fine turns out, <laughs> turns out it, it was it was fine now i am the type of guy that would have broke those axles so i'm, I'm yeah, not a for sure you know I, yeah thank you ryan um yeah. i concur yeah <laughs> but you break a fabricated nine given an opportunity so. <sighs> done it so to answer your question yeah uh the jail and jt people seem to be a little bit more realistic whenever they come in wanting 37s very few times do they want 40s, but it's possible that they can run 40s mm -hmm. without doing the, changing the axles. On the JKs, it is possible to run the 40s, but the housing itself is just such a weak housing on the on yeah. those models that it's it's not so much the ring and pinion or the axle shafts that scare me about those guys running 40s on the JKs. It's it's the actual housing in the front that that is that worries me. It's not even the housing in the rear, really. It's the front axle. So those are the people that you know the JK guys that. Are, um, want to run forties. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to spend in a lot of money to get from 37 to 40, uh, much more so than the jails and JT guys. So you can run the forties on the jails and JTs a lot cheaper than you can on the JK. So there is a possibility that you can run the less expensive the or the more price point suspensions on, on the jails and JTs to run the 40 inch tires. If you're not going to wheel it hard. Right. If you're not going to wheel it hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with building something to commute in that looks the way you want to look at it and enjoy it. But, yeah. um, but back to that point, if you, if you cross the two inch line in a JK, um, it's a well past time for control arms to drive shafts. Oh, absolutely. Slow. I, I don't JL. think there's a, I don't think that there's a budget suspension out there for the JK that's going to allow you to run the 37s, uh, correctly. Right. In other words, but you can drop a two inch spacer on a, on a JL, especially a Rubicon mm -hmm. and run a 37. Easy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Easy. So then, yeah. but, but at that point, if you if you wanted to drive really, really well, you either need longer control arms or adjustable control arms, but, uh, but just yeah. two of them really right. Lower or upper front, uh, lower front rear <clears> upper. <throat> so you got to correct your pinion angle in the rear and you need to ca correct your caster in the front. So control arms are especially important when it comes to those, those suspensions and again, whole other podcast, but you know, there are some budget lifts out there, uh, that go up in the four and a half inch range that aren't terrible suspensions. And we advertised that before we did some videos on it. Uh, in fact, because I did a video on it, I don't mind bringing it up, but Skyjackers four and a half inch yeah. lift for the gladiator. You could put that on. It's less than, it's like, man, it's, I don't even think that lives 1500 bucks. And uh, you can throw the 40s on there. So you can get the look almost immediately that you're looking for. And it's not bad. It does come with new control arms, so it will correct some of the geometry. It's not adjustable control arms, but it is a, it is a, a fixed aftermarket control arm that will correct geometry. This is why I sell those suspensions. And everybody's like, oh, man, you know, you guys, why would you sell... Why would you sell that brand when you guys are known for selling this other brand or installing this other brand? I'm like, 
But because a guy goes into a dealership and he and he buys a he buys a sixty thousand dollar Jeep, be it a Wrangler or a Gladiator, right? Let's call it a Gladiator. He goes in and he buys a sixty thousand dollar Gladiator, okay? But he wants to run forties on it. But he just bought a sixty thousand dollar Gladiator. I mean, it's a tough pill to swallow to go and throw, you know, seven thousand. Let's just say seven thousand dollars at a suspension and wheels and tires and yada. All right. So I recommend it. I'm like, well, look, if you know that's what you're going for, why don't you just put the Skyjacker on it for now? All right. Save your money for a couple of years so that you can get those two and a half inch King remote reservoir shocks and, you know, all eight control arms and new drive shafts for the rear also and, or whatever. Um, you know, cause even if he did that, even if he did the skyjacker, he still want to do a front drive shaft no matter what. Right. So right. you can kind of like budget your way into positioning yourself. You got that look and you got two years, which I would say two years is probably about what you can reasonably expect to, to get out of one of those suspensions before you start seeing some issues like maybe uh, bushing failure, stuff like that mm -hmm. in there. That's where I feel like those suspensions, what they're good for, all right, as yeah, far they, as in our They fill a good void. They fill a good need for that intermediate market, you know. And, and people can call Ryan right now and go, Ryan, build me a progression plan for my lift kit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, he can tell you, he can go, okay, at this point, when you're, when you're comfortable and you've absorbed this cost, add your control arms and add these control arms and then change out your rear drive shaft. Now you can, you know, maybe go better tires, bigger tires, whatever. Um, just kind of step right through it. That way you don't have to swallow that $10,000 pill on day one. It may yeah. cost you $12,000 in the end to step through it, but at least you don't have to swallow it all at once. Right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ryan likes both. Oh, Ryan. I love talking to people. Ryan's a lot better at talking to people on the phone than I am talking to people on the phone because, I mean, I guess I've just done it a lot more than Ryan has up to this point. I'm like, do me a favor, bud. Just shoot me an email with all your information on it because it's going to take us a long time to have this conversation. Ryan doesn't mind sitting there for 30, 45 minutes sometimes talking to people on the phone. Uh, I just don't have that much time. So, you know, if somebody – calls and they want to talk to me it's it's probably going to be a, a short conversation and be like man just shoot me an email dude and we'll get back to it it might take a few days but uh, again that's the same same effect whether we do it over the phone or through email but i'll be like look these are this is the way i think you should build it this is the options that you have um and if they're like man my budget's just not going to hold that right now i can't do that then we look at the budget you know the budget boost or you know whatever the budget suspension world and we kind of look at those and go, look, man, okay, you could do this. And that'll get you the look that you want right now. But if you're going to go off-road it, you're probably not going to enjoy it nearly as much as if you did the other one. But by going this cheaper route, you have time. You have a couple of years to really think about how you want. Like, what is important to you? And, and that's sort of discouraging is when we do, we do get people in that we, we don't really realize how much they don't know about this stuff. Like they've done enough research on their own to where they sound like they know what they want whenever they call us. And so we'll sort of walk through them and they'll take our recommendations on it and then they get it. And it's, it's, um, it's a bit overwhelming for them when they actually take it and go off road with it. Uh, they aren't, they weren't really expecting to get everything that they got out of it. So it, by doing this, like I said, with these, these more budget friendly lifts, 
get it on there, get it up in the air, maybe do some off-roading with it just, you know, to get it, just to find out if you even want to do this stuff, right? Because uh, that seems to be the thing in the last few years. I, I, I was having this conversation with yesterday with somebody, uh, you know, ever since COVID started, we're seeing a whole different group of people, like, you know, a whole new mix of people coming into the market because they, they're exploring ways to enjoy themselves outdoor because they can't do any, they weren't able to do anything because of lockdowns and stuff, but they could go outdoors and enjoy themselves. So they got into this off-road community and the off-road community is, is, I know they've seen it because they're complaining about it. You know, one of the easiest ways to get it is side-by-sides. God, man, traditional off-roaders like hate the side-by-side crowd, right? But what it did was, okay, imagine a guy goes in, you know, and, and I'm not going to dog these guys because here's what happens. Those guys went out and he bought a side-by-side and he goes out and he's, and he's doing something with it and he's playing around off-road and he sees these guys, uh, and, you know, he's kind of starting to get a taste of off-road, but then he sees these guys uh, and they're driving Jeeps and they're crawling obstacles and he's like, man, I want to do that, but I can't do it in this side-by-side. I mean, you can do a lot with them, but... You know, he's, he's looking at a Jeep or a buggy or something like that, and he decides that's what I want to get into. So maybe he goes out and he buys a JL or, you know, a Bronco or whatever, and then he brings it to us and he's like, hey, I, I want to I do this build with it. So I don't want to knock those guys, the side-by-side guys necessarily, or even the, and the people that are just coming into this industry and, or, you know, culture. And buying a Jeep, uh, and, 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 you know, they take it and they put 35s on it and they go out and they run it. And then they come back and they're like, it doesn't do enough for what I want to do, you know? So, or they completely run away from it and they sell it and they never look back again. So there's, we've seen that progression through COVID where people, uh, who had never owned an off-road vehicle before in their life, buying them and going out and enjoying them. So they may not necessarily have any idea what to build. They just haven't spent years, you know, it's their first Jeep. They haven't spent years on the forums. They don't even know what pirate four by four is. And you know, they've never been flamed. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it gives them time to, you know, Hey, this is your first Jeep. Okay. You don't need to spend that much money on it right out of the gate. You don't even know if you like this thing yet. I mean, and we get it people all the time in here and they're like, man, the driving on this thing is sucks. And I was like, Oh, first Jeep, you know? Like, yep. Yep. Um, and it's, an, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. It's not terrible, but it's not, it's not an Escalade. Let's be real. So, you know, they're, they're, that's what they're used to driving. They're used to driving, you know, their, their Silverados and their F-150s and, you know, whatever. And then they jump in these things. And they're like, man, the, the steering sucks in this thing. Well, you run around 45 PSI, bud. So, first of all, let's let some air out of the tires and let's see if this thing drives any better for you. And they're like, holy shit, man, this thing's not that bad. I'm like, yeah. But so many of the JLJT people are still like, man, there's I can't drive this thing straight down the road without it driving me crazy because it has a dead spot. So you get some people that are like, what do I need to do to fix that? Cause they love the vehicle and they'll do anything it takes to keep that thing. And then there's some that just want to trade them off and get rid of them. So I think it's important that we have those, those, uh, budget, I, you know, suspension in there because it will allow those people to, uh, at least get it toward the way, the way they want it to look and give them time to go out and play with it and do a little bit of off-roading and decide whether they even want to keep this thing. And then right. if they do, then they have time, they can take their time and do as much research as they need to do to, to figure out what they want to do in the next phase. 
and hopefully now with you know with social media being so having such a presence and then you know in good reputable shops out there maybe they'll only build that jeep twice instead of three or four times like what we're used to seeing um and then the other thing i wanted to touch on is the amount of marketing that goes into these um and i think this kind of goes back to customer service but the amount of marketing that goes into the less expensive lifts, the budget lifts, you see more marketing for those brands than you do the boutique lifts, like you, as, uh, as Tony would call it. I've always wondered that. Like, why is there so much money pumped into marketing on the cheaper brands than there is on the more expensive boutique lifts? Yeah. My, my personal thing, and I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but I think that those entry level lift kits and those, those price point lift kits, they're marketing to consumers. And I feel like Evo and some of the higher end Polly and some of those other guys, they're marketing to you because you're the one that's going to sell that lift kit to that customer. Yeah. So they don't have to put as much into it. That's a good but point. The, the rough country wants me in my garage to know about their kit and they want me to buy that kit and install it. Where, where like I said, the other way around, they want you to sign up as a vendor and push their product for them. Yeah. And you're going to go out and wheel it and you're going to be a great example. And you know, all the crazy antics on YouTube that happen usually happen with, you know, those guys are sponsored or they're, or they're well endorsed. Um, they have the, the high end stuff. You know? Yeah. True that. So, so I, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I think the marketing is, is a little heavier on the cheaper stuff just because they know that's where people are looking for it, right? Like those guys that are just getting in, maybe into off-roading or they like to do a lot of uh, internet research. They know that by pumping their marketing money, their budget up on marketing, that that's where people are going to find them. Because the guy that isn't going to do the, the guy that is going to do the boutique lifts or, you know, the, the premium lifts, he's probably not googling or searching for you know best two and a half inch coilover long arm kit for a, a glad a, you know a wrangler or gladiator he's probably not he's he probably knows exactly where he is because he's on the forums and he's talking to people so that, i guess that's where they you know they kind of focus their efforts well they used to focus their efforts on the forums the forums aren't really so much a thing anymore but facebook pages i think replaced a lot of that and then youtube videos replaced a majority of that just people got so turned off by uh, the tribalism that you would find in forums and stuff like that. So they quit advertising there as much and, and just sort of went to uh, the micro influencers or influencers on YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that. So they're depending more on that. I think the boutique or the premium guys are depending more on the influencers to push their products for them. As I look at Tony wearing his King off-road racing shocks yeah, hat uh, in this video, uh, and I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's, that's uh, fresh looking too. Oh man, man this guy. Do you ever wear that thing other than in your office? Because it, it that, doesn't. That's his, look yeah, like that's it. his indoor hat. That's, you can still see the sticker mark on the brim. Yeah, you can see the sticker mark. That's King of Hammer Dust right there. Because that's where I picked that bad boy up. Tony bought yeah. two of them. One to wear in the office and one to wear everywhere else. <laughs> indoor hat is outdoor. His indoor hat. Yeah. <laughs> so. I have so many hats, man. It's, I, I I don't even know. My wife's going crazy because they're just everywhere. 
Yeah. So. Well, and it's important to, it, it's important to point out that we're not sponsored by anything. We tell people all this time, we're not mm -hmm. sponsored, you know, just because you'll see some of these brands uh, laying around uh, here on my desk or whatever, you know, here's a big snap on it. It's not, we're not sponsored by those guys at all. We're not pushing their products. So when you, when you hear us talk about certain brands, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily, we're not in bed with those guys. I try not to be biased towards many on here because of that. So we, we want to give everybody a fair shape. No, I think you're, if anybody watches your YouTube channel, they'll know you're notoriously unbiased towards a product. You'll run it. If you like it, you'll say it. If you stop liking it, you'll say that also. To some extent. So. I mean, within reason, you know, there's, there's those times when stuff comes up. Um, and, and this is, this is a good topic to, to bring that up. And is the brand, you know, the branding and how important is the branding and whether you should be paying a premium for branding. It, it doesn't matter to me if, if there's a failure in a product that cost, you know, in the same, you have two products that are the same and one costs 10 times than the other. I don't care. It, I don't care about that. If there's a failure and it's a failure because of abuse from a customer, then that, then I'm not going to call them out on that. If it's a failure of wear and tear over a reasonably expected amount of time or, or circumstances, then I'm not going to call them out on that. If it's a failure, you know what most failures I'll call people out on is customer service. That's where I get pissed off and I start talking, you know, and I'll start, I try not to do as much as, as I've, I've done in the past, but in, and it may be one instance of customer service. You can't, you can't put a bad customer service experience. You can't put all that on the shoulders of a company when it may be the individual that you're talking to that is just having a bad day or whatever, you know, it's the repeated, it's when you see the culture in that company lacks customer service. And I, and I'm, I'm very close, I'm very close to naming one right now. Ryan knows it. Don't say it, Ryan. Ryan knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's when you call back repeatedly to a company and you get the same customer service, no matter who you talk to and you get that same attitude. That's where I start calling people out on stuff. You know, it's like, cause, cause, uh, you can get some companies that'll bend over backwards to help you fix the deficiency in somebody else's product that they have absolutely no ties to. And they'll do it just because they're avid off-roaders themselves and they enjoy the culture and the community uh, as well as you do. And uh, they just want to see you and the customer get back on the road. And they know just because that other company won't hold up and do won't hold up to their end of the deal. Hey, you know what, man, that sucks. And it's not going to cost me anything to help you out right now. I'm going to go ahead and help you out right now. That's, that's freaking awesome. And it happens more often than people think it does. So when you see that, you go, this guy's not just trying to harbor goodwill towards me because he, he knows I'm going to keep coming back to him. It's not always that. You, when you see that enough, you start to understand this guy just actually cares and he likes people and wants to help them. And this other guy, well, he just wants your check. He just wants your money. And he's going to do, and he's going to take that money and he's going to do really stupid things with it, whatever, but he's not investing it back to his own company because you can tell or her company, whatever. That's another thing. Just because you spend a ton of money on, and I think I hit on this earlier, and I was going to circle back to it, was just because a product doesn't cost you a premium doesn't mean you're not going to get excellent customer service throughout the life of that product. And, I, and that comes down to the culture within the company itself. And that doesn't just apply to the off-road industry. That's in all aspects of life. You're going to meet those people. There's times when I'll warranty stuff for customers 
that I know the deficiency isn't in us. It's in the product itself. And I could go to the parent company and I could tell them, hey, you know, we have this problem. But guess what's going to happen? I mean, I, I'm a doer. Like, I'm an, I'm an action person, right? Like, I see a problem, I, I jump on that thing and I tackle it and I fix it. If I were to depend on some of these companies to stand behind their warranty, people wouldn't see their stuff for six months because they, the, the bureaucracy designed, and it's a designed, believe me, it is intentional. Sometimes when you call somebody and you want something warrantied, um, there is a design in place, a systems and practice in place to make it harder for you to get through that process so you'll just give up because it's yeah, cheaper. It's cheaper to push you away, obviously, than it is to fix the problem. And they know that. And they would rather build that system and put it in place for you to have to jump through those hoops than they would then because they know the product sucks. And they know that they'll go broke fixing that product. <clears throat> Turbos. <clears throat> but anyways, you'll see that quite often in some of these products where or companies where you call them and you try to, you know, just get through to them to get something warrantied and they give you the runaround and they give you the runaround and they give you, well, you know what? I'm sick and tired of it. So I just sometimes replace the product. It comes out of my pocket and, uh, I'm not, I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal here either. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you stuff. I'm telling you the truth about some of the, some of the stuff out there. And again, it doesn't just apply to the off-road industry. It's everything in life, right? Uh, sometimes it's right. easier. I mean, is Amazon any different when, or you remember Walmart, you could just go buy shit and take it back. And then we didn't ask questions. And they got to a point where you didn't even need the receipt anymore. You just take it in there because it was too much work for them to go through the process of reaching the manufacturer. And they knew that by doing that, they kept that customer with them, even though it was, might cost them a little bit more right then and there. They knew that that customer was going to keep coming back to Walmart and buying more and more and more product because they knew Walmart was going to stand behind the product, even if the manufacturer wouldn't. And that's not my philosophy necessarily as much as it is. I'm not worried about people coming back to me. I, I just know that that guy or that girl, whoever, it took a while for them to save up their money to get that product. Okay. And then it took them a little bit longer to, to save up the money to pay for the labor to get it installed. And then they finally did it and they trusted me with that and they brought it in and we did that. And then there was a, there was a problem with it. Now, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell them, oh, well, let me start the warranty process. And you start calling the manufacturer and they don't answer the phone or they do. And now they want pictures and they want emails and they want a, a, a lavish description of what's going on and why the customer was coming. <laughs> and you start realizing this is a, this is a fucking game to them. This is evasion right here. You know, in the meantime, exactly your is. customer is maybe going to miss the one vacation they get a year that they actually get to use the vehicle. Oh, my customers always come in and do this two weeks before any big trip oh, that they get planned. Yeah. That's it's what always, you're supposed to do, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess. So somewhere out there, there's like a, a there's a handbook, a playbook that these guys are reading. I, I feel like we're talking to somebody right now that has done that, too. Me? Yeah. Uh, no, didn't y'all build his like nine days? I wouldn't so? say that was necessarily his fault, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the scheduler. That was Ryan's fault. No, well, I Ryan wouldn't even hear it. I was supposed to go along with it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm notorious for that myself. So everybody's guilty of it. And I mean, how many times that I've been working on my Jeep the night before I leave to go somewhere because it was uh, the JKX was a good, good, good example. I was yeah. done three or four days before that. And I was like, you know what I could do? I got enough time. 
I could, I could do this. I can make it even better if I do this. And here I am yeah, the I night before. The gas tank out of it. Oh, I'm gonna rip the gas tank out, put a fuel cell on it, and uh, you know, transmission <laughs> cooler in the back with uh, fans on it and all this shit. Because I got three days. Yeah, anyways, and, and theoretically, it's it's nothing to it. But anyways, uh, yeah. So going back to what I was saying, though, uh, it, it's not the responsibility of the cu customer to live that long without their vehicle because a manufacturer does not want to just admit that their product is defective and they don't want to fix it. That doesn't mean every company like that or every company out there is like that. It's not true at all. I mean, like I said, the guys with the budget lifts up to the boutique lifts or the suspensions, those guys that are selling those, it, it's from one end of the, the, the spectrum uh, to the other, it doesn't matter. You can find those manufacturers out there that'll just be like, yeah, I got you, man. Uh, no problem. Just send me this. I'll send it. I'll send you another one or Go ahead and I'm going to head, go ahead and send you another one. And you just put the old one in the box and ship it back to me so we can look at it and see what's going on. We don't have to worry about those guys. Those guys, we know who they are too. And that's why we try and sell the products that we sell is because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's never so much as the quality of the product as it is the customer service that when you're coming down to this stuff. So people out there shouldn't be afraid to buy some of this stuff. Rough Country years ago, I probably wouldn't have run their stuff. The Rough Country now it doesn't seem like the same product quality. It seems like it's better stuff. A lot of that also is because uh, the vehicles themselves are more friendly to use uh, the style of, of suspension that they're selling. Does that make sense? That's fair. Yeah. I was no, as a matter of fact, how, we, 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 you came to me and you said, hey, I'm thinking about putting this suspension on. And I was like, well, yeah, you could do that, but I don't think that's the best route to go. I Those think, weren't the exact words. Yeah, yes. but I'm being nice because I don't want to call any. I don't want to call anybody out on yeah. their on their mm -hmm. on their stuff. Yeah. But why don't we do this? Why don't you put your coilovers on and we'll do the springs in the rear with some cheap shocks? And we did. Mm -hmm. And then when you saved up more money, and then we put the coilovers in the rear. Yeah. And you still have those same coilovers. Sure do. And UD60s and a Hemi like. Yeah, it built from there. But it, yes, it was. It, it's you know, time for a long arm yeah. kid on yours. 100%. But uh, but you've built up to that point. And I didn't, the only reason I did that with yours is because you can tell certain people, like I've gotten to a point where I can read people pretty well in person. And I'm like, this is a guy that's going to, he's probably going to go all in on this. So why sell him a suspension that I know he's just going to come back and replace later with something like coilovers? That's something that you just kind of pick up over time. You know how to read people a little bit better. Also on your your jail that we so built. If I tell you that if I tell you that I want a budget boost on my Bronco, you're gonna say on yours? There yeah. isn't one. <laughs> well no, there say, isn't one. Well well dumbass, I've already bought you box shocks, oh. controller, motor controller. Well we talked about that. Like we knew we yeah. knew this isn't your first rodeo. You know, eleven yeah. Jeeps later and a Bronco we we have pretty good understanding of where we're gonna go with these builds. The only reason I backed up a little bit on that one was because I realized that marketing wise for the company it would make more sense to build it, make the good content from this bronco, this particular bronco, and then go on to a different a different bronco with a little bit different drivetrain in it. So there's, there's a reason yeah, why I did that. We know where you're gonna we know where you're gonna end up. No oh, man, uh, I don't for sure. But yeah, hey, to saying. that point, this may be a flashback for Dave, but adding a two inch spacer lift to a non-Sasquatch Bronco, you just add the spacer and you're done, right? Because Correct. 
it's the same same uppers, same lowers as the Sasquatch model, Correct. right? Just different shocks. Whereas things. if we were to do the coilovers, we would need to replace the upper control arms in the front. We would need to replace uh, some control arms in the rear. Um, you know, so there's tie rod, you know, steering linkage, stuff like that is going to, there's going to be some, some modifications that are necessary to go up beyond the two inch lift. I still don't know a lot about the Broncos, but the two inch spacer lifts that we're, that we've been referring to say that they're not for use with those particular, with the Sasquatch models. So why, I don't know. I, I don't know why it'd be any different other than they're using the same control arms on that lift or that suspension that they're using on the, um, the base model suspensions. So it would be, it's already got a couple inches of lift already and anything from that point forward, that control arm isn't, isn't suitable for, and you're, it's going to require an upper control arm with adjustability in it and, and flexibility built into it. So I think overall, what, what people need to take away from this particular podcast is Yes, to some extent, the brands are important, but what you really need to be looking at whenever you're looking at these brands is, is the customer service itself and how, how, if you decide to go that route and do some sort of budget suspension for a couple of years before you move into the, the full on, uh, coilovers or, you know, bypass shocks or whatever you're going to do, you want to look into these companies and want to make sure that the suspension that you are going to put on there is going to lift the vehicle correctly. Because there is, there are suspension. Like I said, the Skyjacker lift, uh, it is going to lift the, the the vehicle correctly. It will do everything that you need it to do, and it's it's going to be cheap. And they have good customer service. It's a good example of of one that you could put on there and go for a couple of years before you step into the premium stuff, and give yourself some time to really decide what you want to do with that vehicle before you spend a bunch of money. Because man, you know, there's guys out there that go at it full bore right from the get go. And then they're like, man, I don't think I like coilovers because coilovers aren't for everybody. Guy comes to me and he's like, man, I am dead set. I, I've done all the research. I know what I want. I want coilovers. Are you sure? Because I don't, do you really need coilovers? I mean, is it just, no, man, it's what I want. You're not going to talk me out of it. All right, fine. And then he comes back later. He's like, I really think I screwed up. I don't think this is what I want. Um, they're noisy uh, or, you know, just whatever. And, uh, or, you know, they get shocked by the maintenance that is required by that's a coil. That's the deal. Yeah. That's the deal right there. People forget about that. And guys like me, well, well I, guys like me, for whatever that is, um, we can't work on them in our garage. Um, yeah. I don't know how to tune them well. I can tune them very wrong, very quickly, um, where I can unbolt a shock if I have traditional coils on my vehicle and have that thing serviced in yeah. my garage, I can take that shot somewhere. I've got to lift the, the Jeep up. I got to pull the coil overs. It's got to hang in the air. I don't have that equipment. So, um, there's, exactly. that's a, that's something, you know, I love the ride, but I think that's achievable with some, with some aftermarket shocks and, and standard coils too. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. It's, it's, you know, you don't always have to be the biggest, baddest dude out there to wheel it. Another great example uh, from the JKX was Casey Curry's rig. He wasn't running coilovers. And that would, Jeep, that, and that Jeep in particular wasn't a radically built Jeep. I mean, you look at mine and I had double throwdown and long arms and V8 and all this stuff. And he's just out there and, you know, cruising through rocks. I mean, he has a lot of uh, skill and talent. He's, he's, he's used to it. And that tells you that technique will win over, um, you know, talent and technique will win over, uh, all that money Te that you spent technology. on suspension, yeah. yeah, technology, talent, technique went over technology. Um, yeah. 
definitely alliteration right there, my friend. Quite often. It's not always the case, no. But most of the time, if you don't know what to do with the stuff, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you spent all that money on that suspension that you're going to be able to outwill somebody. I bet you a guy with one of those uh, budget lifts, you know, like say Skyjacker on his Gladiator, the four and a half inch lift, probably if he's really, really good at what he does, he knows what he's doing. He has a lot of experience, um, talent and technique that he can go out and outwheel a guy that's got a coilover long arm kit on there any day of the week because he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's looking at. He knows where to place that vehicle on those rocks and get over those obstacles. So it doesn't necessarily make you a better wheeler to have that stuff. Oftentimes, it makes you a better wheeler to not have that stuff and to start out we with thought, that. We, we talked about that before, that the vehicles we have are, are like cheating. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I took and I built my Gladiator, which I did, immediately went to 40-inch tires on it, and I took it out and I wheeled it, and I was like, man, this thing wheels pretty good. Actually, you know, it wheels better than a, a Wrangler in some cases. Often, Oftentimes, it doesn't, but in some cases, it will better than a Wrangler. Uh, given the circumstances, but had I just started out with doing a 37-inch build on it and took it out and learned how to really wheel that thing, you know, same thing. And and again, it goes back to this Bronco that I got now where I'm like, you know what, man, maybe I just put 35s on it and go out and see what most people are going to be doing with this thing. And what you're going to find is that you're going to learn how to manipulate that vehicle through those off-road obstacles with what you got instead of just barreling over them. When you feel like that's not enough or you're just tired of fighting the trails, I think that's the point where – I think that's what I got to because I did run – most builds I would start out in 35s and go from there. It wasn't on the cheapest end of the spectrum of of suspensions in my JK, and it wasn't on the highest end of it, but it was less than middle of the road, okay, price. That's a better way, way to put it. Uh, it was a good lift. It rode good and wheeled good and, and uh, learned a lot about, you know, that platform. Whenever I just got tired of like, man, I just hate having to, you know, navigate a certain way. And then I was like, you know what, man, I'm going 40s. And then went with 40s on it. And you start just rolling over stuff a lot easier. And you don't learn some of the techniques that you need to know that would have helped you even with the 40s, had you learned those techniques with 35s, 37s, 33s, even with 33s, if you had learned those techniques getting into it in the beginning, then it would make it even easier when you get to the 40s, uh, and I guess 42s now, and how to fill the yeah. Jeep out. Because going out there in something that you're not familiar with uh, and just wheeling the crap out of it, it you know, oftentimes it's going to be more dangerous for everybody on the trail. I think what- I think my son can outwheel me. I mean, he has a he's got rid of his Jeep and yeah. in the Gladiator, but he had that that Jeep on thirty five, and we we're out of contingency, and you know, we didn't do anything nutty because he was you know obviously with us and he was on thirty five. But right. and he went everywhere I went. He had to he had to read a different line, yep. had to pick a different line. He had to be smarter about what he was doing. He yeah. obviously didn't follow us in places, but he he did it all. And I, you know, I just think it made him a better wheeler. You put him in something with thirty sevens or forties now, and he still looks at that thirty five inch tire line you know yeah and there's nothing wrong with that there's no shame in getting out there and not being able to get over an obstacle and pull in line to winch over it because that's something that's important because even if you had 40s 
you're gonna you're gonna end up breaking something guaranteed you're gonna end up breaking someone one of these days and you're gonna be in an obstacle when it happens you're gonna have to know how to recover that vehicle being able to do it when you got 35s and you can't get over an obstacle and your vehicle's not broke is a lot less stressful than when you have 40s and you break and you need to recover and you know even you never done it before because you went straight to that mess and so yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And running in a crowd of people that, that are like that with, you know, like-minded and that with like builds is really important because that's where you're going to, you know, fresh guy getting out there, he's got a budget lift on, he's running 35s, and he's running in a crowd of people that maybe run a little bit better, or I just say better, a little bit more expensive suspensions, but still running 35s, maybe even 37s, and wheeling through those obstacles. Chances are you guys are probably going to all run into the same spot on that trail where you're going to have to winch. And then you're going to learn some recovery techniques there, you know, what what yep. works, what doesn't work, how the trails change as you're, as you're rolling, each vehicle's going through it, and every time you do a recovery, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the same as the last guy. So it, that's important too. Man, that's another good podcast topic. I think that's another great aspect of this is not jumping into those premium lifts right away and running those big tires and kind of uh, growing up, baby stepping it through those builds and learning all the different techniques and challenges that you face with every single level. I guess you could say level of build that you're going to progress through with that vehicle. So another, you know, yeah. it's just something else to take away from that. When you first build that vehicle and you put that four and a half inch skyjacker on that gladiator, if you went with that lift, hey, now you can buy a, a, a worn VR Evo 10S winch to go up there because you, you have plenty of money left over in your budget to buy some recovery gear. So you can go out and that's a winch. I'm not going to knock that winch at all. I think that's a winch that you can leave on that vehicle for a long time. Uh, I don't think yeah. you necessarily need a Xeon. A uh, whole nother podcast topic, right? Winches. But it is brands, right? I mean, oh, it's brands, yeah. It's it's winches, yeah. I mean, brands. I mean, we could talk about that, I guess. But well, we can uh, talk about models. But I mean, yeah, you so. can go to Harbor Freight and get a Badlands winch for as much as people are going to use it, it, realistically use it. That's probably just fine. You can go out there and buy that that worn VR 10s winch, Evo VR 10s. Which is a, that's such a long nomenclature. Long you can go ahead and you're going to spend half as much as you would on a Xeon, but in reality, how much, how often are you going to be using that winch? And it's a very good winch. It's a very reliable winch. It's cool because it actually comes with more features than the more expensive winch. But, but by doing that, you'll, you'll be able to go out and learn how to use all these different things. I've used a winch to recover other people more than I ever have used it to, re to recover myself. Right. And that's another thing that people need to learn mm -hmm. when you go out and do this stuff, uh, start learning out off-road is not only to recover yourself, but being able to recover other people and knowing how to do it and use all this different recovery gear. You know, by doing that, then you actually, you're more reliable off-road when you go out and you learn these techniques initially than if you just jumped into it because there's nothing funnier than the asshole that went and spent $20,000 building his Jeep up and then takes it out and doesn't know how to use it. I mean, I say funny, it's, you're going to get laughed at by other people in, around, you know, the peer group is going to give you a lot of shit about it, but you know, eventually they're, they're not going to leave you hanging. They're going to jump in and help no, you. But they'll, they'll save you. I mean, they'll that's, what's you. great about the off-road co community and you're going to make the best friends whenever that happens. They're going to bust your balls as long as you have a good attitude about it. 
if you laugh it off with them, you're, you're going to build some great friendships out there and, and they're going to, they're going to see that you're a good sport about it. And they're going to teach you how to use that stuff. If they know how, yeah. you, you know, you're going to build a better bond with people by doing that kind of stuff. But I think this kind of falls into this. You could talk about it a little bit because if we're talking about budget lifts and stuff like that, you're probably appealing to a, a crowd of people that, that needs to hear that, that needs to go out and learn how to spot. And, and you can learn a lot about wheeling just from, from watching other people spot or spotting them yourself. So in addition to building that budget Jeep with maybe a little less expensive winch and, you know, recovery gear and stuff like that, go out there and learn how to wheel from people that know how to do it. And first place start would be spotting. I would say, what do you think, Ryan? I enjoy wheeling with someone who has more experience than I do. Cause I do look at it as an opportunity to learn. Um, yeah. I know when I went out that one time with uh, you and Jake, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, was I it fun? I ain't gonna lie, you'll scared the shit out of me. No, he, he, he likes fighting the black belt. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah, he does. well, yeah, Jake's different. He's a different animal. <laughs> but you know, it, it was it was something it was something different for me because I mean, I do a lot of like you know the one hundred ones for the local Jeep. Yeah. Stuff, so and, and those are so much fun. That. I have so much fun with that. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. And it's you know it's getting people out there in their stock Jeeps on you know they're it's not diff- difficult terrain, but it's something they've never seen before. Yeah. And I, I honestly I enjoy it. I, it's it's a lot of fun for me to do that. So when I go wheeling, I do like to go with someone that has more experience than I do so that I can learn something more and pass that on to, you know, maybe I'll learn something out there that day that I can pass on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, Casey did that to me um, on the JKX because somehow, you know, he ended up right in front of me when we got down in Bronco, the Bronco Canyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nasty. We got down in there and uh, we were going through there and I was just, you know, when he, he come back and he goes, hey, man, I want I want to tell you something. If you want to listen, he goes, you need to wheel smarter, not harder. And he yeah. goes, you got 40 now because that was my first Jeep on 40. And he goes, follow my line. He goes, it's, it's the antithesis to what you were thinking <laughs> when you were on the smaller Jeep. And I started following him. And I was like, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> this is so much better. And so he, you know, I, I love that about him that he took the time to come back there. Cause I think mean, he saw me and Jacob just look like windshield yeah. wipers and that thing. And he, you know, I learned so much from him right there just in that what i don't know how long we were in that damn canyon but it wasn't very far but it was a long time (laughs) and then we just shot you know he said follow me and we shot up the side and we just went up you know we went up top and started watching and just bsing and i love that that's the jeep community thing yeah that's the fun times i have a lot of fun spotting a lot more fun spotting than I do you that there a lot. No, no I'll, know, do, I'll do it anywhere. Like I would rather spot people than, you know, only because I enjoy seeing people get pushed out of their comfort zones and then ta- conquering that obstacle, like the confidence, you just see it spilling out of them after that. So that's why I enjoy doing it. I just, I just like seeing the transformation in, in people's minds as they, they realize, Oh man, I can do this, you know, and they, and they really get real confident in it and, and they're just a lot more fun to be around when they get some little bit of guidance and a little bit of a little bit of help. Uh, they're just going to enjoy the day a lot more. So, again, building that budget build, and yeah. and you know, uh, on top of that, I'd say get out and, and use the Jeep with some people that are willing to work with you and help you out. We do a pretty good job of that locally. Uh, well, you guys do not me uh, do a one on one class maybe once a year or something like that with some group of people, but I don't think that you can just go out there and learn this stuff on your own. It's definitely going to be a a lot harder and a lot more expensive. 
and a lot more frustrating to go out there and learn it without being in a crowd of people. So on top of that, you know, get out there with a group of people that want to wheel with you. We've established that there is a place for the premium brand names and there is a place for the budget names. If you're just getting into this, don't get sucked into that, that mentality that just because you read on a forum that a such and such brand is no, you know, it's cheap. It's no good. It's blah, blah, blah. You know, don't get sucked into that. Go out and meet some people face to face and talk to them about what they've done with their builds and how they went through them. Pick you a good shop based on others' recommendations and, and talk to those guys and see what they recommend because I think a good shop is going to give you a plan if it's not in your budget. And now, ideally, if you know that's what you're going to do, if you know for a fact you're going to run 37s on that thing and you know for a fact you're going to go out and wheel it, then by all means, um, you know, move up to those more expensive lifts and, and just and go at it from there. And don't waste your money on it. But if this is the first Jeep you've ever owned or first Bronco you've ever owned, don't run into this thing head first and spend tens of thousands of dollars modifying it only to find out you're not going to enjoy that thing after all and you might want to get rid of it. Or there's a few different branches that you can go on when you start getting out of those budget lists that you can go, you can go different directions. Uh, it doesn't mean that one's necessarily better than the other, but it does mean that you are going to spend a lot more money than you did if you just stayed in that that budget boost or budget lift realm. Yeah. So uh, it's easier to figure it out when you've only spent a couple grand. It's easier to figure yeah. out how you want to go about the rest of that build or that ultimately what that build needs to look at. than if you dig yourself into a hole right off the bat where you spent $10,000 uh, wheels, tires and lift and install and all that stuff. And then you figure out, Oh wait, I didn't actually, I don't, I think my style and wheeling would be better suited in this other direction. So yeah, you know, that's an expensive, that's an expensive lesson. And, and I think, you know, to reinforce your point, if you're coming out of an F-150 or a Chevy truck yeah. and you're moving over into a gladiator, you're it's um, a completely different driving experience, but boot, budget boost that thing, put your yeah. wheels and tires on it, get used to it. Um, make sure mm -hmm. it's something you like, because that is going to ride it generically as good as it's ever going to ride. Because when you go yeah. full potato, like yeah. we did with Rooster and like we did with yours, that's a different ride. It's a different ride. And it's I, not necessarily I, a bad I, ride. No, and I like it, but yeah. it is a it's, it's different, a different, different ride. Yeah, and um, you ha sure. you're going to spend a lot of money to find out whether you like that or not. Yeah, and, and and I mean, you can go and ride around in somebody else's vehicle that's that's built the way you think you want to yeah. build it, but I don't think that you're. I mean, unless they let you borrow it for a month of just straight driving it and wheeling it, you know, whenever you want. I don't think that you, you're, you're not going to grasp the full experience of what that driving experience is like every single day in that vehicle, because let's be honest with you. Most people that are buying a JL and lifting it up or a JK and lifting it up. I'm well, I'd say nowadays, a lot of people are buying JKs and building like more extreme trailer, trailer Queens out of them. Right. Where, as opposed to the jails and JTs. So let's use the JL and JT as that, that example. Most people that are buying those things and building them up to 37s are still daily driving them, especially now that the diesel is available. It seems like, seems like we're seeing more of the, a little bit more extreme build out of the diesel guys because they know they have the power to sustain that. So daily driving it at the same time as you're taking it off and off-roading it. So you're going to be stuck in that thing. And most of the time that you're driving it, you're not going to be off-road. So you have to build that thing if you're not going to be trailering everywhere. It's not a dedicated off-road only vehicle. 
that you need to build it in a way that you're actually going to enjoy driving it every day. You're just not going to know that without trying a few different few different things out and it's easier to try out the cheap stuff and kind of at least get the fundamentals of those different types of suspensions out of the cheap stuff and then you can move up to more expensive stuff and the larger percentage of people are just daily driving it and the lift is nothing more than aesthetics the look of it that they want yeah and i will say this that there is a difference in ride quality between the cheaper you know the more expensive boutique lifts uh versus the the more budget-friendly stuff, you will typically find that the more expensive stuff does, in fact, ride a better quality. So, and that's why we tend to sell what we sell. One last time, those guys that don't know what they're going to do and they just want it to look good, then I would start out with that, um, a good, a good budget lift and see where, see, take it out, use it, go out wheeling, do some light wheeling with your friends and stuff and and see where you want to go with the Jeeper Starter Pack. The Jeeper Starter Pack. So make it about the adventure, not about the vehicle. Yeah. Then you're, then you're oh, great yeah time. All the time. Every time. Every single time. So as long as it's safe and reliable, you know, that's that's the biggest takeaway from those. So, All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. And uh, stay tuned. We hopefully will have another episode next week. But uh, we really enjoyed talking about this one with you. And we're looking forward to talk about the next thing. Do I need to redo my ending? Oh, I thought it was a good ending. Yeah, let's get out of here. All right, Ryan, let's call it a day.